Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. So, get involved. Get involved. Mitch, how's your week been? Yeah, good. Good week this week. Can't complain. Uh, Easter long weekend, so I guess it's nice for most people to have some time off. I unfortunately had to work two of the days, so still got a weekend, so that's good. But um, that's, yeah, got that's some rugby in away. over the weekend as well, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. there's been a lot of really good quality rugby matches on, mate. Um, I'm feeling a little bit lighter up top. I participated in the world's greatest shave <laughs> and have been told I look like the main guy from Baking, Breaking Bad or... Uh, the main Viking from the TV show Vikings. I've not watched either show, so I don't really know the names, but that's what people are telling me I look like. And Or the guy Andrew from the Lee. Hitman video games. Yeah, yes. What is it, Agent 11? Is Something that like that, Agent yeah. 11? Yes. Uh, so basically, if you just point towards a bald white guy, that's basically what I look like. <laughs> <laughs> you can really anyway. the, um the Easter theme. <laughs> yeah, that's egg. exactly it. Egg, egghead, mate. Uh, can you take us through the socials, and then we'll jump in, jump on into what we're doing tonight. Yeah, cool. We are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast page, and we are on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So give us a like and a follow or a tweet, and we'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. Now we have a whole bunch of fan questions that have come in in the locker room. But before I tell you what we're doing, Superbrew Yellow Cap this week goes to Matt. Congratulations. And just to quickly run through the top three in the competition, first place still is Her Red. Second is Tombs. Third is Wingy. So congratulations to you three fine, fine people. Uh, I think I've moved another two up the ranks. So I'm about 41 out of 70-ish. And I think you're a few places above me. So we're both getting beaten by your mum and your brother, which is disappointing. Yeah. And that, yeah, I'm being beaten by them in two competitions. I think this weekend, <laughs> I my pick for last week was the Brumbies by 50 points. So um, yeah, I've basically written this round off because I... I got probably half a point or something for the match point, but that's it. <laughs> Nowhere near it. Look, I, uh, obviously we'll get into it, but there, a lot of people were predicting a heavy, a heavy Brumbies win, um, and that didn't eventuate in what was a really enthralling game. But before we get to that, we're it almost be feels like spicy the, news. it almost feels like the Brumbies were expecting a heavy Brumbies victory too. Yes, and that might be some of what we talk about when we get to it. But hold your power, keep your powder dry, please, Mitch. So basically, we're going to start with the spicy, uh, spicy news, then hit up the round seven review. Then we'll go, as usual, to the locker room and touch on some of the fan questions that have been pouring in, heaps of them tonight, which is fantastic. And then we move briefly to our round eight preview. So are you good to go, Mitch? Let's go. Let's go. Okay, time for the spicy news now, and we'll focus on the Waratahs mostly for our domestic section and a little bit of news from the international side as well. But we'll start off with big news last week. Rob Penny was sacked by the Waratahs, and at this stage, we don't have a coach that's been announced to take over from him at the end of the year. Um, The board has come out and said that they're looking for a replacement. They're hoping to announce that in September or around September in time to come and have a really good preseason 
sort of start off in December this year and then move into next year and really get a good sort of flow into 2022. Um, There's been a few names sort of bandied about a bit from different media outlets this week around who might be available or who might be a good option. So to briefly run through those, we had um, Simon Cron, um, ex-assistant coach at the Waratahs, Michael Checker, uh, John Menenti, who's the women's sevens coach at the moment. He's tied up with the women's sevens until July when the Olympics goes ahead. And Darren Coleman, who's over in um, LA coaching the LA Guiltinis. So some interesting names there. Those were the names that really came out at the beginning of the weekend. Since then, there's been a little bit more news tease that Simon Cron has unfortunately ruled himself out of contention. He has committed to a coaching gig at Tor- Toyota Verblitz for the next few years. So he unfortunately isn't available. And Michael Checker has come out and said that he doesn't think this is the right time for him to be stepping back into a coaching role with the Waratahs. Um, any thoughts around those names or what's sort of come in the last few days, Ando? Oh, look, I find it really challenging looking through a lot of these different contenders because there are all these positives and challenges that come from the people who are who are in the conversation. So we look at Simon Cron. Well, he's obviously not coming back because, and he said he's not coming back because he just signed a new deal with Toyota Verblitz, but he would have been a really good person who knows the culture, but also doesn't have any significant issues with RA like Checker brings to the table. So he's pretty acrimonious um, last 18 months in the national coach role. In my mind, actually sets him up as a really contentious figure to take on the war- to take on the Waratah's coaching gig because I'm not sure how effectively he'd work with Scott Johnson or our, or the rest of the kind of RA people but in the same collegial manner that a lot of the super rugby teams have been so far over the last 24 months. Um, so I was at, but saying that, I was really surprised to see him come out and say, no, he, it's not the right time. I wasn't really expecting that. As I've mentioned on Twitter and on the pod last week, I think I was expecting Checker to take on a role and I wouldn't be surprised if he does take on like a director of rugby role or something like that if they have a less experienced coach take on the role and lastly I really don't think we should be looking um, for remind me of the coach's name of the sevens Minetti Tim Minetti yeah John Minetti Um, I don't think he should be coming on because I don't want to take away from the sevens program um, I would strongly recommend that because of the success we've had in the past with our women's sevens program and the Olympics that are coming up, we shouldn't be poaching from the women's sevens program and destabilizing them in order to try and write an already sunk ship. I think you kind of build afresh from the ground up and I'm not sure if he's the right person to be coming in. Yeah, um, I kind of sit on the other side of the coin in that regard. He's been at the sevens now for a few years. Um, and I guess it's like a World Cup cycle in the men's 15 game in that you coach the, the national side for four or five years looking leading up to the World Cup, and then once you lead them through to the World Cup, you usually finish your role and then look for something else. So he's been with the team for the last four or five years building up to this Olympics. He took them to victory at the Commonwealth Games, um, and he's looking to, to build on that victory in the Olympics, um, which was unfortunately postponed, as we all have said in the past. Um, so, yeah, I, I think his contract is up at the end of the Olympics. I don't think he's looking to re, re, um, ignite his contract. I don't think he's looking to extend that. I think what he wants to be doing is moving 
back into the 15-man code. So um, I personally think he'd be a great addition to the Waratahs. He's come through Shoot Shield. He's done. He took um, Eastwood to, in the space of five years, he took them to three finals, and I think they won two of them. So he's got the experience um, to turn teams around. He knows the, the Shoot Shield landscape. He knows some of the players that were currently in the Waratahs set up who he coached through Clubland. And he said in some interviews this week that he knows and he understands the importance of the Shoot Shield, not just what the Waratahs have done in the past of picking school uh, players out of school and then expecting them to be brilliant in, in super rugby. He understands that there's that middle ground between the Shoot Shield and really using that as like a rugby nursery and picking the best players and pushing them into super rugby when they're ready, um, which I think is something we've lacked. So I'd really like to see what he could do. Darren Coleman also, very similar coach. He probably hasn't had the exposure or the ability to coach at a higher level like Menenti has because he hasn't joined the seven setup. He's coached um, at the Shoot Shield for a number of years. He's taken two or three different clubs to success in the Shoot Shield. So in some ways, he's probably more of a figure who's able to come in and build a culture and change things around quite quickly. Um, But he hasn't had the experience coaching at this level yet. So yeah, two different options there. I'd be happy to see either of those guys really be given the role. Yeah, look, I I hear all that and it just shows the complexity of the situation at the moment. And how would you feel if I quickly just take this conversation sideways, knowing that you watched that interview, that Stan (laughs) interview with Paul Dorn? Um, Are you all right if we go there? Yeah, let's go there. Yeah, cool. Okay. So for those of you who are unaware, um, the Stan Sport team, particularly Nick McArdle, he did a really hard-hitting interview with um, Waratah's CEO, Paul Dorn. And they then discussed that in a lot of depth with Michael Checker and Morgan Tiranui, which is really fascinating. But the thing that I just want to say from the outset is a huge well done to all the Stan Sport AU team, particularly Nick McArdle for the quality of that interview. I think opening the conversation with the simple question of, so is Rob Penny a scapegoat for the failures of the Waratahs or failures of New South Wales rugby? And then when Dawn fobbed it off with, with a kind of political answer and then he asked it again, so is he a scapegoat? And again, receiving a political answer, but at the same time, he was in multiple occasions during the interview, he didn't let Paul Dawn get away with those types of um, answers. Yeah. Those answers that are just obtuse to the question that's being asked that don't, that kind of talk around the topic. And there's an extent to which that has to happen within these types of interviews. But at the very least, Mikado was giving him every opportunity to say the right thing and to actually speak to the issues at hand. And he asked questions that a lot of us were asking. What were your, what were some of your takeaways having watched that? Uh, I was initially, I was, I was happy that Paul Dorn took the time to to sit down with Nick McArdle and be present in this interview. But when I sat down and actually watched it, I found myself becoming more frustrated with the fact that he wasn't answering any of the questions put there. And he kept saying that as a high performance organization, we need to be accountable to um, the the results that have, that have come through. And he just kept saying, we need to be accountable or that person needs to be accountable. But he was, he personally was never accountable for, taking um, taking responsibility for where the organization finds itself. Yep. He kept yep. sort of shifting the blame to different people. And Nick McArdle was very quick on picking that up and saying, okay, well, who on the board are you, are you 
saying that. And he's like, well, I'm not highlighting names. I'm not going to say this person, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here. But at the same time, he was sort of fobbing it off as if it's that person or it's that person or it's that person, but I'm not telling you who that person is. Um, and so it just was frustrating. We didn't get anywhere. And it just made it me feel as a Waratahs fan, like I'm sitting here listening to these guys who actually don't have any idea how to get out of the hole that they've put themselves in. And they, yep. they think that they do. They think that they've got the the knowledge and the skills to get out, but they really don't. And when they've asked these hard questions, they weren't able to answer them. So for me, it was more frustrating. Um, a really interesting thing that my wife actually picked up um, was at the end of the interview, Nick McArdle asks Paul Dawn, what's the plan? What's What happens next for the Waratahs? What's, where do you want to see us go in the next few years? And he outlines a few things around getting the new stadium, building a good following from that, getting some players in and key positions and then building to be successful. And then by 2023, 2024, we really want to be a side that's able to push for the title. Um, And then afterwards they spoke with Michael Checker, who was very reserved and pulling his punches in this interview Mm -hmm. um, and didn't really, it wasn't the kind of checker that we expected. He, what I thought he'd get fired up and be throwing things around, but he was very reserved. He was, answering the questions from a very different place than I pictured him being, particularly because he was a coach of the Wallabies and the Waratahs. So he's got a very keen knowledge of it. But Nick McArdle also asked him the same questions. And he said nearly word for word, the exact same thing that Dawn had said previously. And she pointed out to me, they've had a conversation. They're aligned. They know what they're doing. They're both on the same page here. And so the fact that Czech has now come out and said, you know, it's not right for me. It's, it's not the right time for me to be coaching, da, 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 da. I don't know whether that just means that he's trying to play down the talk because he's already accepted the role and he and it doesn't want to be announced until next year or something, or he's going to join the organization in some capacity as, like you mentioned before, a director of rugby or um, an advisor or whatever it is. Um, but he's definitely had conversations with Dawn and he's aligned with his views moving yep. forward, which I don't necessarily think are the right ones either. That was hugely it. So I think we might, um, I'll say something now and if you want to add to it, but then let's wrap up this conversation yep. and keep yep. on moving. I've said my bit. Um, yeah. So the takeaway that I had from this in general was number one, huge respect to um, to McCardle. Morgan Tiranui as well, oh, as, well as, yeah. as well as McArdle. Morgs yep. killing it. He's killing um, it. Morgs is absolutely killing it right now. The quality of the analysis that he brings from a game analysis point of view is fantastic. And he's not pulling any punches with the commentary that he's providing, but he's not... He's not stoking fires and he's not being sensationalist just to get clickbait headlines. He's putting forward his opinions, which are generally well-founded and well-evidenced, even if you might disagree with them. Um, But there's almost always evidence uh, to back them up. And so it was fascinating at the end of that interview where the Cheka and Tiranui are together and Tiranui is just saying it like it is. So I really enjoyed that from both Mikado and Tiranui. but particularly, I was—I just enjoy the fact that Stan Sport was willing to put that on, had the capacity, and also to some extent credit to Dawn for actually coming on. Yeah, it exactly. was never going to be an easy conversation. But like you said, I wonder if it—it it didn't help the situation. Yeah, yeah. If the credit that they receive for coming on has then been done away or or has been negated by the questions that now arise as a result of the interview. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next. We don't really know at the moment where this whole sort of fiasco is yeah. going to end up, but it's yep. interesting. 
It's very interesting. Right. I think that <laughs> leads us going. that leads us really well <laughs> into the next point that comes up. Again, Atar's bit of news, and we don't have anything Sorry, else from guys. any of the other Super Rugby sides. So if anyone does have any news, they can hit us up. But I guess at the moment, the Waratahs are just all over the headlines. Um, news came out today. It's kind of worrying for us Waratahs fans, but Angus Bell and his management have in the previous last few weeks uh, been, I guess, talking to other rival Super Rugby clubs and trying to gauge interest to get out of his contract with the Waratahs. So Angus Bell's contract... No, no, no. Oh, he's sorry, he's not, finishing yes, his sorry. contract. Not, not, yeah, not to get out of the rest of his contract, but he finishes his contract with the Waratahs at the end of 2021. So he's trying to, I guess, test the waters and see who else is interested for signing him for 2022 and, and beyond. Now, very worrying for the Waratahs that we would lose someone of such skill and importance in our, in our lineup. What were your thoughts around this one, Ando? Uh, I'm not at all surprised. So I am not at all surprised that this is happening because he's one of the better players who I think is somewhat lucky to have still been picked in that uh, Wallabies squad, that Wallabies training squad. I think that he is being held back in his development as a rugby player by being at the Waratahs. Same to um, Harry Harry Johnson Holmes and Will Harrison Harrison. Jack Maddox as well so all them together I think have been held back and are not the players that they should be uh, for being at the Waratahs Um, probably less to a lesser extent Will Harrison because he got his chance because of the lack of senior players in front of him Um, but I'm just really concerned that we're going to have another exodus at the end of the year and that we're going to try and fix that by just luring a couple of big name players back in from overseas and we've seen from the Western Force that that just doesn't work you need to have that squad continuity over time and then inject experience and class into a couple of key positions Um, so I am hopeful that this is just the management sounding out or putting some feelers out to kind of ascertain his market value before going back to the Waratahs and renegotiate a new contract. That's my hope. Uh, but I would not be surprised to see him go. There is an interesting point that is mentioned in this article that um, this all happened a few weeks ago. So a lot of this was prior to Rob Penny being sacked and, what the article mentions is now that Penny's gone, there's actually thoughts from his management that he may be happy to stay at the Tars now. So there's they're suggesting they're suggesting, sorry, that Penny was part of the problem at the Waratahs for Bell and was he was unhappy in the team with Penny in charge. That's some pretty big news. It goes against kind of what we thought was happening behind closed doors at the Waratahs, if there is sort of a shift or a divide in players who maybe not everyone was behind Penny as much as we thought that they were. Yeah, and maybe we, we had heard some rumours that some of the more senior players uh, were not as on side with Penny's vision in 2020 and that that could have been a contributing factor towards some of them being okay to seek an overseas contract. Uh, Bell would have been fitting into the younger player category, who generally has been, from all reports, quite supportive of Penny and his goals and direction. So maybe there's some other factors behind the scenes here. Who knows? But either way, hopefully he'll stay. The, the that Tars need him to remain a part of the team because he is such an integral part of that forward pack and they're low on class in the forward pack anyway. So yeah. they need him. Yeah, definitely. I think that's all I would say as well. Hopefully he can sign on with the Stars, Tars and extend his contract for another few years because um, I wouldn't want to see him 
packing down against us in Super Rugby. <laughs> uh, last point for the spicy news this week is around uh, Tonga. So Wallabies legend Toitai Kefu has been reappointed as the Tongan head coach, which is great news for him. He's a great Wallaby. He's done a lot for the game, and it's great to see that he's um, giving impact back into the the community that he grew up in and and his native Tonga, um, and he's coaching them again. So it's great to hear that. Any thoughts around that, Ando? No, I just think it's a good call. He's been with them from 2016 through to 2019, so he'll be taking them on again, and now gets to prepare them for the mid uh, mid year internationals for the World Cup qualifying matches. Yeah, awesome. Well, that finishes up our new segment. So let's move into our round seven review. Let's go. All right. The first match of round seven was Waratahs versus the Brumbies played at the iconic rugby stadium of the SCG. Such a wonderful ground. You should always be watching a rectangular game at an oval stadium. So with that piece of news or trivia out there, let's go through the actual match. This was very surprising. Mitch, how much did you tip the Brumbies to win by? 50. Okay. And I said... 25 or 30 or something 30 like i think you said yeah. um yeah 30 so and yeah i was looking through the um picks on our super brew tipping comp and almost everybody had the brumbies by 10 or more so if you actually got this on a nose then huge congratulations to you because that was an insane pick but it was really surprising to see the fact that the brumbies only got up by 24 points to 22 against the waratahs uh, and there was a large part to which that wasn't only a not great performance from the Brumbies that got them to that point, but it's actually a much improved performance from the Tars. And I'll be very disappointed that um, Will Harrison wasn't able to land that final kick to take it into extra time and potentially steal the game, considering that Cusack had been sent to the bin. So before we actually get into the match, I'll go through some of the key stats. So starting off with possession. So the Waratahs enjoyed 62% to 38% for the Brumbies' possession, and territory was 67 to 33 Tars Brumbies. Try scored was 3 to 4, and the kick percentage success was, success was actually pretty poor from both teams, 60 to 50, much down from previous weeks. And I think that was down to the fact that uh, they almost all of the tries were scored in the corners far away from the touch, uh, far away from the goalpost. So it was much harder kicks. Um, clean breaks and defenders beaten, nine to eight. 25 to 21, eight offloads to eight offloads. We conceded slightly more turnovers and the penalties was nine to nine to 15 Waratahs to Brumbies. So with all of that taken into account, the Waratahs had the majority of possession and territory, but as is not particularly surprising, weren't able to make it count against what is still a very good Brumbies team. Uh, What do you think were some of the takeaways that you had when watching this game, Mitch? Watching the game, it was very, um, it was a very seesawing type game. Or the first half didn't reflect the second half at all, and I don't know what happened to the Brumbies at halftime. Whether they kind of just assumed that they were going to run this out and score a lot mm. of points in the second half, and kind of went to sleep. Um, I don't know if that was enough enough of the point or. There was a little bit of poor game management from the the coaching as well. They they rested a lot of their players very early, particularly their Wallabies players, very early on and brought on some of their younger guys when the game was still really in the balance and the Waratahs were actually starting to um, to sort of take the lead and and 
get a real roll on. So um, first half, though, Brumby's very clinical, very good. Waratahs were looking there, I guess, poor form from this year already. But then in the last sort of 15 minutes of that first half, they really started to click and, and things started to change and they started to to get a few more points and to get um, some momentum going and they really carried that through into the second half. And, yeah, it was a really different game when they came out at halftime and I was really impressed with the performance from the Waratahs and really unimpressed with the performance of the Brumbies. Yeah, it was really interesting that the Brumbies lost the second half 12-0. They didn't score a point at all in the second half, which is really not what you'd be expecting from them. They started strong, although the Waratahs did call it back until it was 10-10. And then a really nice Andy Murha try uh, led to them getting 10-15 up and then took it away from there to be 10-24 up at the end end of the first half. And from that point on, it wasn't that it was all the Waratahs. That's definitely not the case. The Brumbies were still playing with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, but they just had no real penetration. And they didn't really look like threatening the line particularly well, except for one mistry from Tom Wright when his knees went into touch off a really nice chip through. Um, aside from that, there weren't really that many opportunities where the Brumbies were pushing particularly hard at all against the Waratahs line. And I wonder if, like, I think you just mentioned this, sorry. Um, I wonder if they just made the choice to take off a few of their key players way too early. And so they just had a less experienced team on the park in the second half. And they were just worried. They were just impacted by that. Like Nick White went off in the 52nd minute. Um, Pete Samu went off in the 46th minute. Flau Fainga went off in the 46th. Like those are some really early changes. And I wonder if that came back to haunt them. Yeah, considering in the 45th minute, Cusack cops a yellow card and then Will Harrison scores in the 65th minute. So the momentum's actually starting to shift against the Brumbies at that point. They're under the pump from the referee. They're conceding a lot of penalties. Um, and they just started to, the Waratahs just seemed to gain momentum. And at that point, you, I was always expecting the Brumbies to just click back into like kind of like we expect from the All Blacks yep. to yep. just get back up the other end of the field and score some points and then really extend that lead and bury the Waratahs, basically. It's like they had their foot on the throat of the Waratahs and then just kind of took it off and, and let them get back up off the ground. Um, they, for, for my un- recollection of watching that second half, it very much felt like the Waratahs were in the Brumbies half, if not the 22 for probably 60% of that half. It felt like and towards the end of the game, the, the Waratahs just kept getting back into the, the Brumbies half and then just kept pestering the line, trying to get over the and score some points. They had a fair few cracks at it, which was, um, I guess, in one way good that they were down there and, and backing themselves, but at the same time, their execution was not allowing them to execute and score those points, which really would have swung the game way back in the Waratah's favor. If some of those simple errors didn't end up costing them tries early on in that second half. Agreed. And I think a large part of that um, comes down to the strength of the Waratah's defense. Now there were some, there were some really poor errors made, particularly on first phase defensive play. There were a couple of really nice tries that the Brumbies did that um, particularly the Muirhead try was just fantastic. And that came as a result of a really bad read in defense where the Waratah's were just way too compact. Um, the, the scrum 
or was it a line out? No, the line out was on the right the line side out. or the, the close side. And the Waratah's defensive line, the back line was just way too condensed. And so all it was is just good passing out wide with one blocking runner. And we just they just got on the outside of the fence and Muirhead stepped inside to score. So bad cover defense, but also way too condensed. And then um, you also had that early try. I think it was Tom Wright that finished off, but they um, had the break in first half. try. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. First no, that try. was Tom Wright, and that he just got the ball from um, about the ten meter line and just went over untouched. Yeah, and that came purely down to a misread by Izzy Parisi, who jammed in to bite on Rob Valentini's blocking line or dummy line. And so he jammed in thinking that Valentini was going to be the target and then had to make up and cover some space on the outside and couldn't reach it. Um, it was Tom Banks, wasn't it, for the first try? Tom Banks, sorry, yes. Did I say Tom, Tom Banks, Wright? Yeah. Oh, yeah there's too many Tom Toms. That's fine. There's Tom Banks, there's Tom Wright, there's Tom Cusack. Come on, guys, get another name. I know. It's Help like Will us, Harrison. Please. There's too and many Will, Will Harrisons or Will Harrison Wills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> anyway, anyway, so a lot of that came down to just Paul Waratah's defense on first phase play. But in general play, they had really well-connected rush defense, which present, prevented the Brumbies in general from getting much dominance within forward uh, zone around Iraq. And the Waratahs actually did really well. There was an increased sense of urgency, increased effort across the team. And in general, they were working really, really hard. And to keep the Brumbies to only score 24 points um, when you've been leaking so many over the last few weeks, in my mind, isn't too bad. Isn't too bad at all. Well, this is the first time in this this year that we've scored more than 17 points in a game. So (laughs) that stat alone is great to see. Um, But we had so many opportunities in that last probably 15 minutes to really um, solidify the game. And there was a number of times where we got penalties and we went to the line out and it either didn't end up coming off um we either just completely lost the line out or knocked the ball on from the ensuing breakdown or went to ground in the mall like if we had kicked some of those points we would have really been able to play a bit more scoreboard pressure to the brumbies and maybe we would have been able to snatch the lead with more than 20 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever it was um left in the game so uh, great performance from the waratahs um but I guess game management is something that we're still not really at the required level at yet. But, you know, I'm not taking anything away from them. I was really impressed with their performance as well. Now, we've just spoken about the Waratahs for about 10, 15 minutes. Why don't we actually talk about the Brumbies now? Yep. What did you want to say about the Brumbies? It's <laughs> a very good question. Um, <laughs> I was I was found it really interesting how... at different points they just fired and were absolutely electric but then went through real real clear periods of stagnation throughout the game where they just weren't able to impose themselves and take control of the match and you have these incredible breaks by banks right great finish from Muirhead, typical rolling try from flower Fainga. but i'm just really surprised that they for the entire of the entirety of the second half were just kept completely scoreless and toothless and i wonder how much that comes down to the continued weakness that they're having within their i guess weakness isn't the right word but the injuries that they've had within the front row of their forward pack um, and whether that's impacting their ability to do the tough work in tight. But in saying that, you look at the rest of their front, the rest of their forwards and they're still quality. Like their back row is fantastic. And the um, 
who is it, Swain and Neville have been playing very well too. I'm just trying to figure out what was it that led to them having those issues where they just couldn't get out of their their half within the second half. For me, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the issues that the Brummies were having in that second half was around their their urgency. It was like they were too urgent, uh, too. Um, is too urgent? Is that the right word? Is that yeah, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they were too, too over enthusiastic in at the breakdown. So they were going too hard at the ball. They were going for. Um, they were trying. Basically, there was at least one or two players that were trying to disrupt the Waratahs' ball or attempt to steal the ball at nearly every breakdown, and they were getting penalised for it. But they weren't pulling back and letting it flow. They weren't realising that they weren't actually um, having an impact or they were slowing the game down, which I think is what they were trying to do, but they weren't successful in getting that ball back. And so that allowed the Waratahs to, to slow the game down, kick to the line out and try and uh, ascend their lead from the set piece. So it just seemed to me like individual players were going too hard at the ball um, too often and they were getting pinged for it and they weren't able to really stop and take that step back and, and sort of realize that's what the issue was. And then that's, um, and that was for me, I mean, in, in saying that another part of that comes around to, to captaincy and leadership. So Nick White was the captain of the team and he was doing quite well in the first half, but then he came off quite early in the second half. I think you said, what was it? The 55th minute. Um, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So he came off and Tom Cusack was then the captain and the Waratahs were very good at getting under Tom's skin in this game. <laughs> He yep. was very much trying to claw that lead back. And I think he didn't want to be the captain that lost the game for the Brumbies or really halted the momentum through the season because he was trying very hard, but he was pushing the line a lot. And it seemed yep. to me like he was actually trying to go too hard at sort of leading by example and not actually just leading the team and, and slowing them down and maybe giving some advice and direction to some of the younger players that were actually coming on, like the Lonigans, like... Um, some of the, the the second rowers that came on the replacements. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like they actually started to get a little bit overawed by the situation. They weren't expecting the Waratahs to be so up in the face. I think they were pretty much expecting by the 50th or 60th minute to be well. I mean, Harrison scored his try to lead 24-7 not to, to trail 24-17 in the 65th minute. They probably thought the game would be well and truly buried by that point so they were getting a little bit overawed by the the experience and and not really quite sure what to do also that they didn't have their leaders out there scott ceo james slipper and um alan alatoa to really just slow things down steady and go back to their their pieces that were working really well for them alatoa is back this week mate so he'll be he'll be back in a team this coming week which he's is back fantastic. this week but he wasn't there this week uh, last uh, week i know in this i know, game. I know. I know. I know. I'm just saying the news has come out that he's definitely going to be in the team this week, which is fantastic. Um, great for the Brumbies and well, I mean, it's a not, really good boost yeah, for them as they head he's up. He's not injured. He's um, been in the naughty chair. Yeah. Naughty chair. Naughty and that will be a real big boost for the Brumbies as they head up north to face Queensland. So why don't we quickly just ask a couple of questions. That I just wanted to say one this. other quick thing to you. Um, mm. I guess it's, it'll start off our little question segment. Do you think the reason the Brumbies weren't quite so um, effective as what we have seen or as potent as we have seen the rest of the season in this game because they haven't travelled for so long? And this was their first game. I think from round two was the, their last game away. They've played all of their other games at home. This was the first time they've had to travel. Do you think that that was a factor in this performance? 
It could have been a factor, but you'd hope that it's not because they're a professional rugby team and it should be expected to do it. Plus, what is it, two and a half hours north with a stop, maybe three if you stop off at Sudden Forest Mackers on the way up? Imagine um, that. Imagine the oh. rugby team rolls in after the game. <laughs> they often do on the way home, from what I hear anyway, from everything that gets put up on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that it shouldn't have been a factor. And let's now go to the question that we had that we wanted to discuss a little bit. Mm-hmm. If Penny wasn't sacked, would the Tars have still put in this performance? What do you reckon? Yes, I think they would have. I, um, there was a little bit that came out from the assistant coaches and the captains in the press conference and the post-match interviews after the game around, well, they were pretty honest in what they said, that we didn't change much this week. We didn't bring in any new structures. We didn't do anything differently. We stuck to the, to the systems that Rob had already set up. So a lot of this effort needs to go or the credit for this performance needs to go to Rob. Um, and they were, it was great we were hearing them say that because it was a little bit like a, a, a finger up to the board that <laughs> they didn't necessarily think that was the right decision either. But yep. for, my, for me personally, I think you got to look at the team that was on the, on the field as well. Jake Gordon played very, very well for the Waratahs and Jack Grant was good as a number nine for us for the last few weeks. He was a serviceable nine but he wasn't a leader and he didn't drive the Ford pack around. And I think that for me, that was the biggest difference. Jake Gordon drove the Ford pack around. He was on his forwards, butts the whole game, get off the ground, come around the corner, set up, mm-hmm. set that pot up, do this, do that. Like he had them working like clockwork. Jack Grant doesn't quite have the experience to do that just yet. So I think that was a big factor for um, an increased performance. He just brought the continuity back back between the forwards and the backs. Um, we also had Isaiah Parisi and Lalakai Fiketti in the centers. Now we saw them play last week together. Interesting that they were in opposite positions last week than they were this week. So this week Parisi was 13. Fiketti was 12 this week, last week, vice versa. Um, but they've been a much more potent center combination than anything we've seen in the past. So if I think if you just look at some of those players, we also had Angus Bell back in the front row, Angus Bell, Dave Parecki and Harry Johnson Holmes. That's a great front row. So we haven't had all of those guys playing together for three or four weeks. I think if you look at that alone, that's a completely different side to some of the sides that we had two or three weeks ago. So if Rob had those players at his disposal, he would be playing them and they probably would be putting in a performance like this. The fact that, they were injured or um, on sort of disciplinary issues. The fact that those players couldn't play wasn't, wasn't Rob's fault, but it just kind of, for me, shows that the board were too preemptive in making their decision and saying, you need to go. You're not doing well enough. If, he, if they had held off a week, they would have done this. Bef- they would have put in this performance and we would have been looking at a completely different storyline, I imagine. It's so fascinating, hey, because last week I was saying I didn't expect a bounce back from the Waratahs because I thought their performances were in line with where they were at as a team with the players and the personnel available to them. And now we have Angus Bell coming back into the starting lineup, Will Harris at number eight. You've got the continuation of the centre pairings. You've got two locks that actually have a second game together as a pairing and play really well. But even, even without that experience, those guys were very good as locks this week. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. That we haven't been able to get this kind of performance out of the more experienced locks we've had in the past, even yep. if we did play two or three games together. 
Yeah, exactly. And so when you, when you add into that the return of Jake Gordon too, I just think that there is an element to which this wasn't actually the sacked coach bounce back, which is pretty common. I actually think this was a team playing to its capacity with some quality players returning to the team or getting the combinations embedded in and that we would have had a similar uh, performance if Penny had still been the coach. Now, part of me is saying that because I believe it, and part of me is also saying that because it means that I wasn't wrong from last week. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I'm I'm still right, and that people don't look <laughs> at it and go, "Ando, you said the exact opposite thing," and then this happened. No, I'm still right. I still well, we we I'm both right. weren't aware that Jake Gordon was coming back this week. I had heard that he was back running. I didn't think he was game fit this early. I was expecting him back for probably the force game. Um, yep. which is when it sounds like we'll get Swinton back as well. So adding Swinton into this side is going to be a great um, asset as well. But mm. yeah, if if we look at what Penny was given at the beginning of the year, this is the team that he wanted, apart sure. from probably the second rowers. Apart from no, the second like rowers. The beginning the- of the year, not, not off-season. This isn't the team oh, that okay. he would have chosen in the off-season, but the team that yep. he was yep. given. Yep. Um we're not going into that whole who should we have signed to debacle? No, but this is this was probably the closest team that he would want to be putting on the park that the players that he had. Now we saw from round one, Parisi got that red card, so he was out. Jake Gordon got injured, uh, Angus Bell got injured, as we've said. Like these guys came back, so a lot of the performance we saw this week was Rob Penny, who had put this effort into these guys in the last few weeks. It's just unfortunate now that we he wasn't around to see or to get the reward for this performance. All right. Now, with all that, we still need to say the Waratahs lost uh, and they, they did oh, not did win. They? So <laughs> they got the moral victory something like that uh so we need to make that really clear they lost although now that i look at the time i think we've just spoken for about 25 minutes on this game so we really need to move on (laughs) and i think we need to just say who is your honorable mention you do not get to explain why or go into any more detail uh jake gordon jake gordon okay cool since you've taken him i'm gonna go the lock pairing of jeremy williams and mac douglas max douglas well said Okay, cool. All right. Uh, actually, that's just from a Waratah's point of view. And if we really quickly just say who our Brumbies um, honourable mention would be, because, I mean, they won the game. So I'm obviously choosing Ryan Wanigan. Who are you going to say? I don't really have one, to be honest. I mean, Tom, I'll, <laughs> if I have to pick one, I'd say Tom Wright. I thought he played quite well but yeah, cool. for his first game back. But, yeah, the Brumbies, in for all of my... Uh, going into this game, they should have put 50 points on the, the Waratahs. The fact that they only were able to win by two points is not a good outcome for them. And the players after the game looked like they had lost the game, not won by two yep. points. It, there was a very weird situation. The Waratahs guys were very up and happy. Brumby's guys were very down and sad. Good. All right. And my pick actually would be um, Andy Muirhead. I think he's on fire and well-deserved call up into the Wallabies training squad. Okay, cool. We need to move on to the next game. So the next game on Saturday night was the Rebels versus the Reds played down in Melbourne. And the final score was an absolute shellacking of 19 to 44. So the Reds, but bl- what, was, what word am I looking for? Blasted out of the gates and scored some quick fire tries straight away. And then apart from a pretty decent fight back at the tail end of the, of the first half, the Reds just ran away with it in the second. So 
Overall, if you look at possession, it was 50-50 and 51 to 49% for the possession. Um, Meters run was basically the same across. Three tries to six, two conversions to four, zero penalties to two, kick percent success was 50 to 75, and penalties was 12 to seven. Set piece was relatively even. The Reds line-out didn't fire particularly well, uh, and no cards across the game. Looking at clean breaks... Interestingly, you only had 10 clean breaks for the Rebels and only nine for the Reds. So despite the fact they scored six tries, they didn't have a huge amount of clean breaks. Defenders Baden was 21 to 18 and offloads was six to two. So only two offloads for the entire game for the Reds, which is fascinating. But the area that really hurt them was turnovers conceded, 17 turnovers to nine. So that's quite significant. Um, Mitch, what were some of your initial takeaways having watched this game? Yeah, well, I um I didn't get to watch the full game. I only I caught bits and pieces of it live, but I was at a family dinner for Easter. Um, I had it on my phone and I was watching every now and then, and I saw the Reds were really and truly running away with it. So I was pretty happy from that perspective. But when you look at the statistics from this game, it doesn't it it looks a lot closer than it should have been. So you take away the fact that the Reds scored six tries and the Rebels only scored three. <laughs> But the Rebels made more line breaks. They they beat more defenders. They made more offloads. The, the 17 turnovers conceded, that's what really did hurt them. But I guess it, it goes to show in saying that where the Rebels were above or bettering the Reds in a lot of those aspects, the Reds are, are showing their ability to score tries from anywhere um, at any part of the field. And that's what this game really showed for me, um, that even when the Rebels were in the Reds' half, attacking hot on their heels, Hunter Paisami comes through and scoops the ball up from his shoelaces and r- runs f- nearly full field, untouched to score. Like, they are just on fire at the moment, this Reds team, and they are showing that they really are starting to be a step ahead of everyone else in this competition. Agreed. They were absolutely dominant. I think this is probably the best performance the Reds have, no, definitely the best performance yep. the Reds have put in this season. Uh, and if they can back this up against the Brumbies this coming week, it will basically secure them the home final. So that leads us to the question we were going to use to guide this conversation. Does this performance cement the Reds as a favourites for the home final? Yes. Yes, it does. But presuming they're going to be backing it up this coming week against the Brumbies. So this is really the key match, which is going to decide a lot for the one-two placing. I mean, how can they not? This is their home game against the defending champs. If we thought they were going to get up and put in a great performance against anyone this year, it would be this game against the Brumbies. And we saw in the grand final rematch round one, when they went down to Canberra, that, the Brumbies put some points on them early and started to extend that lead, but this team stuck to their guns and really clawed that victory back. And only in the last few minutes were able to really get ahead and, and win the game. So I'm um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they can go this weekend. And I don't know too much around the injury situation with the Brumbies. Like I know that they're going to have Alatoa back. Um, and I think Slipper's playing at the moment, isn't he? Or is he not? Yes. Yep. He is playing? Yep. So... Yep. Those guys will start, but once those guys come off and get some rest in probably the 60th or 65th minute or around that mark, those younger guys are coming on to replace them and they don't have the depth there in the front row. And I can I can see a situation happening, what happened last time where 
the Reds just started to turn the screws when they came on up against this inexperienced Brumbies pack and just start pushing them off their own ball and getting penalties against the feed and that kind of thing. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I agree. I agree. I think I was just super impressed within this performance with the fact that the Reds were able to just continually be applying pressure. And look, the Rebels had a few really good moments and uh, a lot of them came from, um, oh my God, I'm having an absolute mental blank. Frank Lamani. The scrum half. Frank Lamani, thank you. How he was good just was so he? so good. His left foot step to come inside um, Tate McDermott for his first try was just absolutely incredible. His speed is just thing, like nobody else. It the was thing amazing. that I found myself thinking after watching the highlights of this game, the worst possible outcome is that Frank Lamani is already a capped Fijian player, but he's a scrum half who started the game on the wing, but was also slotting in at first receiver to run through the Reds defensive line and score untouched under the posts. Like he is just so skillful across nearly everywhere in that back line. He's a player that we need in gold. Why can't we have him? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's capped, mate, and he's Fiji, and so oh, full credit to him. He was he was incredible, and I'd love to see more of him in future weeks. Uh, plus, it provides the benefit of when the ball goes out wide, you've already got a scrum half out there. It works, doesn't it? It really works. Yep. Yeah, and like it's happening with the Brumbies with Fines Lelewasa as well. So I just wonder if it's a new thing. Just chuck a chuck a fast scrum half out wide, and then you get a bit more distribution across the back line. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, you need to pick your players. I can't see uh, Nick Phipps <laughs> or Jake Gordon being all that um, effective out on the sidelines. But um, no. yeah, no, very, very impressive. I mean, as you mentioned before, and I was most impressed with the Reds in that they they set the, the tempo of this game early and they scored some really quick tries, but they all weren't through the same method either. So the first try they scored was Tupo um, off the back of a mall and then he scores again shortly after from a bit of a break in play and then they score against the runner feed. Like they... They were able to run in tries, but they also were able to show their hand in that they were scoring off different set pieces and different facets of the game. It wasn't all through yep. the scrum. It wasn't all through the lineout. They were scoring from everywhere. And they they set the tempo of the game and they didn't take their foot off that all game. So the Rebels did score some tr- sort of consolation points coming up to halftime, but yep. they never really got close. They It was 24-14 at halftime, but you just always felt like this Reds team had another um, another level or another system to go up to. A uh, gear, yep. sorry, that's the word I'm gear thinking of. Another gear to yep. shift up to, and they really showed it. Um, I remember from the Brumbies game, some of the comments on on Twitter and social media was that oh, the, the Brumbies look tonight like they're in second gear. And I'm like, well, but why? Why are they in second gear? If they're a title yep. contender, they need they can't do that. They're playing against yep. the worst team in the comp. They need to be in first gear and just absolutely put them fifth, to the sword. Fifth gear. fifth gear, yeah. They just need to put them <laughs> to the sword. So, um, yeah, really impressed with the Reds, the fact that they came out with intent and stuck to that the whole game. And it does go to show that, for me, these guys really are the title contenders at the moment. And I don't see the Brumbies being able to upset them next week at, at their home game in, in Queensland. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. I think a big part of the match on Saturday night was the fact that the Rebels, in my mind, are never going to be a team that can claw down an early, mm. um, a large margin early in the game. So when they were behind by like two tries really early in the match, I just thought, no, nope, 
that that's done. That's it. I don't think they're going to be able to come back from this and not because they're a bad team, but just they haven't demonstrated the capacity this season to be able to come back from an early, it was 24 nil after 18 minutes. Yeah. 24 nil. And so whilst I did call it back to 24, 14 at the end of the half, um, it was just super significant that they uh, didn't get the first points in the second half. Matty Tuum missed a pretty easy conversion uh, penalty kick. Sorry. And then pretty soon after Fraser McWright scored a try, which then got converted. So it was like a 10-point turnaround within the first eight minutes of the second half and blew the scoreline out to 14 to 31, and they just never really looked likely of um, catching up from there. And the thing yeah. that I'm also really enjoying is the willingness of um, the willingness of James O'Connor to take penalties. Now, I don't want Australian rugby to be the type of rugby that takes penalties every single time and only goes for penalties, but... Yeah. At the same time, we've seen in the last couple of weeks that applying scoreboard pressure and trusting in yourself or in your team to be able to keep scoring points in the tail end of the match is super important. And the fact that James O'Connor is just willing to be taking these penalty kicks, uh, even when another captain might go for the line out or go for a scrum, I'm enjoying and I want to see more of. Yep, definitely. And I mean, we've spoken a lot about the Reds and I don't want to say that the Rebels were bad in this game. I was actually impressed with a lot of what they did as well. They've still mm. got a very effective back line, but they just came up against a team that is really, they're the title contenders. And so they're doing what they need to do to really take out the title this year. And the Rebels mm. in their in their corner, like they're pushing for that third place spot, but they just, they really do feel at the moment, like a bit of a step below the Brumbies mm. and the Reds. Um, yep. And I do feel for them, like they have some really great talent, but again, they're not quite stepping up to that mark. Um, but in saying that, they didn't play badly inherently this game. The, Rebel, the Reds just scored some pretty nice tries. All right, let's shift now then to who are the honor- who is the honourable mention from this game for you? Well, I can't go past Frank Lamani. He was just brilliant. He just did everything. Yep. So yep. For, for the Rebels, for me, it's Frank Lamani. Okay, I'll go Rebels as Michael Wells for me. He's, the fact that he chased down Jock Campbell on the break was just incredible. He has He's seriously rapid for a large number eight. And then he also got to try to cap it off at the end with some beautiful soft hands from Trevor Hosea as well. He must be all the, the training line. that he's doing with those sevens boys. <laughs> must be, must be. Um, now for the Reds, who's your man of the match? Or who's not man of the match, sorry, who's an honourable mention? Um, I would say Tupo because he played out, out of his skin again. But I think Boring. I've said Tupo every week. So I'm going to go with Hunter Paisami. Yeah, cool. Why? Uh, he just He's just getting better and better every week. And he's shown that he can play both 13 and 12 effectively. Um, where, when he's not just putting massive hits on blokes, he's also showing deft hands to pick up balls, um, intercepts that are on the ground, or he's getting really good offloads to his outside players. So um, he's just he's building on the skill set that he started the year with, and he's just getting better and better and more confident. And getting each week, he's bringing something different to the game, which is just great to see. I agree. Uh, for me, I'd be choosing probably Fraser McWright. A lot of people have been pointing this game out as being a bit of a coming of age for him where he um, had a bunch of really good quality turnovers, a couple that he was pretty lucky. He definitely had his hands on the ground in front of the ball and just got pushed back onto it. Um, but, oh, by the way, congratulations, Amy Parrott, for refing first um, Super Rugby game of 2021 in the middle yeah. this week. So I want to see more of that. I thought she did really well. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was, it was interesting. Very good. 
Yeah, the ruck was in my mind very loose. Uh, there was there was a fair bit of f- freedom given to the players at ruck time, but I don't I didn't read that as a weakness or an unwillingness to call things, but just a desire to let there be more competition for the ball, which really fed into the hands of uh, Fraser McWright. Yeah. So that he's he's my call for um, other player. Now, one final thing before we move on, if you don't mind, yep. I just want to ask a question: What's the go? With Jordan Pattaya in 2021, <laughs> what's the go, Jordan? It's it's almost like he's on autopilot. It's almost like he can't like catch he's a ball calling in and loses the ball half the time. Like, I mean, he's up there with Dave it? Parecki. No, no, Dave as in can't catch a, a ball of his own, mate. As in can't catch um, a ball. How many tries <laughs> yeah, did he bomb? That's <laughs> two, two. He's bombed two. Um, so this week, this week he bombed th- two. No, he bombed one this week. Thank you. No, he won the previous week. He was the one that collapsed the the mall when he came on. Remember, we were we were texting each other, and um, Horton went off injured, and Parecki comes on, and I said, "Look, he's going to bomb this opportunity," and you were like, "Ha oh, ha, no, he won't. He's great." And they go for the mall, and he's at the back, and he slips over, and then all the players fall on top of him, and then it's it's a non contested. The mall I collapsed. genuinely don't remember that specific thing. I heard you bagging out Dave Parecki, so I just ignored you for a little bit and stopped replying. <laughs> um, but getting back to my point about Jordan Pattaya, he is, in my mind, just really down on confidence. He, I wonder if he needs a spell away or something or if he actually deserves to be dropped from the team. I don't think he's getting anywhere near the 23 at the Wallabies 23 at this point in time. And if he doesn't have a significant improvement in form in the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure he's going to be retaining his spot on the, in a starting 15. Like when Vunavalu is back, what are you going to do? Are you going to take off Felipe Dunkunu? Are you going, although he didn't start this game. Um, are you going to Stewart, not maybe? include Jock Campbell? No, but Hamish Stewart is playing no, really well. And it's that's, the only, that's the only thing I could think you would shift. He's the only player that I would say may be uh, interchangeable with Pattaya, but yeah. everyone else in that back line is too good. Um, I think Stewart's criminally underrated. Oh, definitely. I think the fact that he didn't even get a mention this year in the, the yep. Wallaby squad is just criminal. Uh, yep. I would just say that I think what Pattaya needs is a year of club rugby. He's He's been a bit like Kurtley Beale, picked out of school and said, you're the next big thing, given a shot at the World Cup when he was, what, 20, 19, 20. He was, I think at the time he was one of the youngest Wallabies we'd had. And yep. he just hasn't played enough. He hasn't played enough against grown, fully grown men to really be able to confide in himself and know that his skill set's good enough to to get him through. So a bit like Tane Edmund, I think he needs a really good year of um, club rugby under his belt before he can really push it in super rugby again. Okay. All right, let's move on, mate. I think we've spoken enough about the games. Let's head into the locker room. Awesome. Now, do you want to run through it this week or would you like me to do it? Uh, you go through, mate, and let's go quick fire. We've been chatting yeah. for about an hour, so yeah, it's been go. going for a while. Um, so the first question comes to us from Carlos, and he asks: The task looked really good. How much of this was affected by the return of Jake Gordon? Rate ten AL two post swan dive. Did he bail out too early? <laughs> All right, we've already spoken to the first one, so I won't speak about Jake Gordon anymore. Uh, ten AL two post swan dive. I'm going to give him a seven point five out of ten, and the seven point five is because I love seeing a front row forward try a swan dive, but he pulled out. And it just really ended up turning into something that should be marvelous and graceful and majestic into something that was just a little bit, uh, 
a little bit sad. No, not sad. A little bit kind of cringe worthy. Like yeah, I'm just book. like, yeah. man, just just just, just go commit all to in. it. If you're gonna do it, just commit, mate. Just commit. It was almost so like he um he almost like he didn't want to hurt himself, but yeah. he's got enough padding under there that he should be able to bounce quite comfortably on it, I think. So oh, okay. Next yeah, next I... week, just just commit to the dive, Tupo. Just go for it, mate. <laughs> um next okay, question next comes question. from Jason Sherman. Was it Waratah's playing well or Brumby's playing badly? Uh already spoken to that, but we'll just I'd answer say the question. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, for me, it's Brumbies playing badly. They should have come away with a much better victory than what they put up. Um, next one, Brian Knight. No more games at the SCG. Agreed. One, I will say one quick comment around this, and it's been really interesting. Um, some of the fans on on social media, so I'm in one of the Waratahs uh, fan pages, and they said that what the organizers had done at the SCG, they had blocked all of the uh, members into two bays. So they were, you know, COVID times, you're meant to be uh, spread out and, and all that kind of thing. But every member at the game was confined into two bays and they were all sitting on top of each other. They weren't even able to go to all these other bays that weren't even open. So um, apparently the, the experience of the game was horrible. Crammed in, only two or three outlets open for everyone that was there. And it was just, yeah, you can't see what's going on anyway. So... Not a good look from the SCG and hopefully we don't play there again this year. Uh, Mitch Evans, what has been the best performance from each team this season? I, oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? I think this game is getting up there for the Waratahs. Oh, it has to um, be. This year? Yeah. Have yeah, we done better? Year, definitely. No, no. <laughs> we, we haven't nearly won a, a game. <laughs> so this one for the Waratahs, uh, Reds this match, definitely. Um Brumbies, I think the Brumbies putting the Waratahs to the sword in the previous encounter, or yep. was it the Force to the sword? Oh, they did both. T- they did yeah. both. I probably rate the Force match a bit higher because they're in a better place than the Waratahs are at the moment. Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. But then, what do you say? What's the word? Oh, sorry. What's the Western Force's best performance against the Waratahs? Yeah, yeah. Probably. I thought they were pretty good against the Brumbies first round. Yeah, they were. They didn't get them. the win, but they were good. Yeah, they were hung with them. So I'm I'm going to go with that one. Mm, okay, move, cool. Move on. um, yep. Chris, Christopher, sorry, Hannon. Season almost over. What is your verdict on Stan? Have they delivered or left wanting? 100% they have delivered. Now, it's not perfect. There's definitely room for improvement. I think there's some legitimate criticism of some of the focus that they put on particular teams or storylines where they talk about one team a little bit too much compared to another team. But at the same time, it's the first season for them as a broadcast team and as a broadcast unit. And so I think they're doing very, very well. I would like to see more on more use of spider cam outside of just looking top down on a ruck or uh, on a scrum or following a ball from a kicker into the, between the posts. I'd like to see them track a backline play as it develops a little bit more. And for that to be used within the actual, um, the actual broadcast rather than just in highlights packages or analysis after the game. I think one thing that's been said a lot around that, and you mentioned it before is that they're not focusing on certain teams, but I think what a lot of people are forgetting is that they're putting a lot of emphasis on the home team. So they speak about the home team pre pre match. They chat to some of the players as they're warming up. They then talk to the coaches at halftime. Mm-hmm. So we've got to remember that it's the home team that gets the preference here. It, yep. You, you can sit there and, and complain all you like about the fact they're not talking up the Brumbies when they're playing away in Sydney against the Waratahs, but it's a Waratahs home game. So they got to, you'd think that there'd be more people tuning in to watch 
the Waratahs play on a Waratahs home game. So I think that there's got to be a little bit of give and take there. When the Brumbies play at home, they'll talk them up and they'll do the preview games there. It balances out. Um, Let's not get too over um, awed by it all. Uh, This next one comes to us from Hugh Tyndall on Twitter asks, do we think the Tars improvement is a dead cat bounce? Should we be ashamed as Tars fans that it almost felt like a win for us? What's happened with Bataille's development? doesn't make my red starting 15 or wobs 23 right now. I don't think it should be. We should be ashamed that we're happy with the two point loss. I think it's called being realistic based upon where the team has been recently. So yeah, I'm pretty okay with that. I mean, you got to take <laughs> to them be- when they come, right? Yeah, exactly. It, 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 we, as a Waratahs fan, we've put up with so much for so long, so much bad stuff. So when we take a good thing, we all go nuts and we say, we're going to win the comp this year. So let's just take it. We're on a high this week. We'll probably get smashed this week against the bye. Yeah. I- <laughs> Waratahs so have sad, announced 16 casualties to the bye this week. <laughs> Three more, uh, 15 more moon boots have been purchased for the team. <laughs> They've run um, out. So I th- I'm not confident it's going to be a complete dead bat dead cat bounce i think well we've got an away game against the force and then the home game against the rebels home game against the rebels and so i think that we may well able to be able to put in a good performance against both of those teams moving forward uh we may even be able to sneak one win from either of those games i just want to see us Um, be competitive i just don't want to see us get beaten by more than like 10 points in either of those games yeah, I think um, when if we move to Pattaya now, I think he's just seriously been impacted by everything that's happened to him over the last 12 months from a family perspective. If you include injury, if you include family loss, I'm not sure that he's in the right headspace to be playing the high-quality rugby that he has the capacity to be doing. There's just so many simple unforced errors that are creeping into his game that you, that so much of what I hear about from a professional sporting landscape is that's just mindset that's mentality that's getting those little one two percent of things correct um he's getting into good positions he's trying to back himself at different opportunities but he's either just making the wrong decision or he's just dropping the ball cold for very little reason so i think that even a couple of weeks away or but he doesn't really have the capacity because the reds are basically on their final runs now finals run now if he'd had a couple of weeks off earlier in the season i could have understood that um just to get his head straight, if that is what the issue is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, next question comes to us from Giles Gibbons. He asks, the Highlanders gave the Crusaders a hiding. Did they show the blueprint to beating the Kiwi teams? What was the key to that win? Line speed or discipline? Uh, Giles Gibbons, my friend. Giles, Giles sorry. What did I say? Yep. Giles. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, Giles, I would agree that that is the key to the win. It's a combination of line speed and discipline. I mean, you just go back to the semi-final win for England over New Zealand in the 2019 World Cup. What did they bring? They brought discipline, they brought line speed, and they brought a very clearly thought out game plan that they executed to perfection. And you see large elements of that with the uh, with the win over the Crusaders this weekend. So, if you can keep that line speed and discipline up for the vast majority of the game, then you do have the capacity to be beating the Kiwi teams. But that's the same for any team in any competition, really. So it's just the capacity whether you can actually execute that on a day or not. And no team in the world can do that every single game. Eddie Jones's England is proving that within their recent Six Nations So discipline is going to be such a big thing, we're not going to see the Brumbies beat any New Zealand team this year? Look, I think it's discipline in the right places. 
Yeah. So the Brumbies are in some ways, in some ways trying to follow the Kiwi teams of giving away penalties in your defensive half and knowing that when you're under trial line pressure, it's better to give away three than it is to give away potential five or seven. And when you consider that, then it makes sense and penalties aren't inherently a bad thing unless you let them rack up. Um, the problem is that the Brumbies haven't been as disciplined over the last couple of weeks across the field in total. Mm. Mm. Interesting to see what happens. Um, Giles asked another question. Uh, if Jake Gordon hadn't gotten injured in round one, would Rob Penny still have his job? Uh, yes, Giles, I think he would. I think he would still have his job. Uh, it's a very simple answer. Yeah, it's interesting to see what would have happened. Um, I think we would be in a completely different situation right now. I think we potentially might have been in third space above the Rebels um, if Jake Gordon was still there because we would have been able to build on um, the cohesion of the team and the ability of some of our younger players coming through. So interesting that that's where we might have been, but it's not where we are. So um yeah, last question comes from James Hall, and he asks, who is your current 10, 12, 13 for the Wallabies? Are the Reds and Brumbies the only Oz supersides that have a chance against the Kiwi supersides? Uh, I think 10, 12, 13, you're probably going to be looking at O'Connor, Tamua, and Paisami, 10, 12, 13. And I would say that you would include the Rebels as well as having a chance against some of the New Zealand teams and the Force against a couple of the weaker teams as well. I mean, whilst the Force have had a lot of promise this year, they really haven't delivered. And um, I think that they might be able to pull off an upset at home against maybe one of the bottom Kiwi teams, but not even an upset, but get a win. Yeah, but which which is the Kiwi bottom team. Kiwi team this year, this week? <laughs> this week, uh, who is it? Again? I mean, if you look, it's the Hurricanes, it's the Canes, and the Chiefs. Are just you look at the performances from this week, like the Highlanders were down the bottom; they just beat the Crusaders. Yeah, true. But I also would think that that's not inherently like an aberration, but it just was a big surprise. And any team is able to pull off a surprise within a competition. An aberration. So like, well, when's the last time the Crusaders were beaten? Yeah, okay. For the Crusaders, I'm saying it's... They beat the Crusaders. Like, that's massive. Yeah, yeah. But the Waratahs nearly beat the Brumbies and no one was picking that. So my point is that in, like, in rugby, there can just be a couple of decisions that that don't go your way and that can be the difference between win or lose. The difference with what the Highlanders were able to do was, like we mentioned before, they came with a really set game plan. They Mm. executed across almost the full 80. So that's a huge credit to them. Um I do think I don't think it's going to be as stark against the Kiwi teams as some people are predicting. Like apart from this Highlanders, this one Highlanders win <laughs> that they had against the Crusaders, sure they they've won one other game, but they haven't been great this season. The Highlanders, the Chiefs, and the Hurricanes have all been poor, and you can't deny that they all have been poor. Yep. And when you look at the Crusaders and the Blues, they're the only cons- team that's showed a bit more consistency. Obviously, the Crusaders have shown great consistency. So with that all being said. I just don't think we need to be too down on the Australian team's chances against the Kiwi size. Well, I guess we'll see what happens in a few weeks and we'll be sitting here at the end of it going, wow, that was that was an interesting competition. We did great or we got smashed. One of yeah. the two. Yeah, one of the two. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that is the end of the locker room. So, should we move now into our preview for round eight? All right. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so round eight for Super Rugby AU kicks off this weekend with game one. The Rebels are hosting the Western Force down in Melbourne. Ando, which, how do you see this game playing out? 
Uh, I think we're going to see a bit of a Rebels bounce back uh, from the really poor performance that they had. I think they're a better team than what they showed on the weekend. And so I see the Rebs winning it by about 10. 10. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go with the Force on this one just Ooh. to make things a bit different. Uh, the Rebels have been going well, but the Force is coming off a bye and they're running out of time to put another victory in, in this competition. So we've, we've had... Uh, eight rounds of competition now for this team to really start to gel as a unit. Now we saw last week against the Reds that that kind of, was it the Reds last week that they played, uh, whoever it was. Yeah, um, the Reds, the quality side that they are, were able to to pull those, those bits of cohesion apart, and that's when the individual things started to fall apart. But the week before that, they were they performed quite well as a, as a unit. So I. I have I have hope that the Force are going to do well this week. They're coming up against the team that stayed in the competition again. This is one of the scalps that they always want to get every year. They didn't get it round the first time they played, so they're going to take it to Melbourne and put in a good performance. So I'm going to say the Force, but it's going to be tight. So I'm going to say Force by three. Force by three. Okay, interesting. Uh, second game of the round sees the Reds hosting the Brumbies. Super Rugby AU Grand Final. Which way is it going to go? Reds, fifth, Reds by five. Reds by 15. No, that was a misspeak (laughs) by five. Reds by five. Okay. Yeah, look, I really like the Reds' performance this week and there's some big questions that have come out of the Brumbies' performance against the Tars. So I do think the Brumbies have the ability to bounce back and their season's on the line here. They, They need to win this to be able to host the final. So I'm expecting a big bounce from the Brumbies, but I just think the Reds really know what they need to do to win the comp this year. They've got passion. They've got that drive and they're really starting to click as a team and show that they can score points from anywhere on the field. So I don't see it going any other way from the Reds, but I'm going to say Reds by eight. I think awesome. it'll be a little bit Reds more by eight. bigger than just five. Now, if we move <laughs> across the, the ditch to New Zealand, so game one sees the Highlanders playing the Chiefs. How do you see this one playing out, Ando? I wonder if the Highlanders can take that momentum and make a real run into the finals from here. So I'm going to pick the Highlanders over the Chiefs, although the Chiefs have just come off the bye, I think. Um, I think. So Highlanders, uh, are we doing numbers? No, we don't need numbers for this one. We're not in a tipping comp for this one. Um, Yeah, I'd like to see the Highlanders do well in this game. I think... The performance they put in on the weekend was amazing. And I was I saw the last sort of 20 minutes of it and I just couldn't believe that they kept scoring points. They were ahead, but they kept scoring points. It was awesome to see. And the the Crusaders never really were able to to get back into the game. Um, this week, they're at home. So they, they beat the Crusaders away from home. This week, they're playing the Chiefs at home. I think that they're going to be on their high from last week. I'm going to go with the Highlanders as well. Awesome. Game two, Hurricanes and Crusaders. Which way do you see this one going? Saders. Yep. Don't think there's much more to say. This one, um, they're going to be hurting after the performance this week. So I think they're going to want to show their fans that the this was an abnormal, abnormality. How do you say it? Abnormality. 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 Oh, such hard words. I should stick with simple ones. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to bounce back and put uh, quite a few points on the Hurricanes, I would imagine. Fantastic. Well, I think that uh, wraps us up for another week of the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast. Anything else you wanted to say, Ando? Uh, no, mate, except um, I'm starting to empathize with all the people that don't have hair. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely cold in the mornings and I can understand why people wear beanies. Waratahs beanies or just beanies in general? Not just, just beanies in general. Just beanies, just beanies in, general. in general. Yeah. 
Nice, nice, nice. Okay, well, thanks everyone for sticking with us this long. Um, we look forward to having you all with us next week and enjoy the rugby this weekend. Thanks everyone. We'll catch you next week. See you. Bye. Bye.